Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Boy, am I thankful we have a, a pastor who is as attentive to detail as a contractor as he is to the Word of God. Amen. It's a blessing to have your pastor and pastors, probably as well, be able to build and remodel and work. He's awesome. Yeah. We are so blessed in so many ways. Um, I got a word tonight that uh, God's been working in my heart very deeply. Anybody ever go through? Seasons of process where where they're, they're deeper than other times. You say yes, amen. So, the last few weeks, God's really been taking me into an area um, of personal revelation. And uh, in that, God has revealed shortcomings that I've had. He's revealed things that I haven't done well, things that I have done well. And so, there's been some spiritual reflection that, uh, that God has taken me through. I know many of you have done that and gone through those times. And so tonight, I want to show you something that God worked into my heart. So I hope this will encourage everybody, but, but I definitely have to bear some things from my own heart that God has shown me tonight. So I hope you can receive um, some of what I have. So now I'll talk about the joy of salvation. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We're going to a couple verses to establish foundation. And then we're primarily going to look at Luke 15. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Pastor, a few months ago, broke down this word of Archangel. How many remember the Archangel? What a powerful word to describe the Lord, the originator and the sustainer. The origin and the one who keeps it going. So he, he's the author and the finisher. It's a good translation. He's the beginning and the end, but, but he's the origin and the sustaining of our faith. Our faith isn't founded in anyone else, or anything else. It's not founded in the church. It's in Jesus. For the joy that was set before me. I don't know that I have ever got this in my heart to the level that I have in the last few weeks. He endured the cross for joy. And that's a bloody, awful, horrible, humiliating place, but, but for the joy. He endured the cross despising the shame, and he has sat down in the right of the throne of God. Now, I think the King James will say the, the right hand of the throne of God, but the picture, it's not the hand. There's no hands. God is not in heaven with hands. But the word is the right, and it's the, the seat of power. And if you notice, the Lord has sat down on the throne. It means he's not getting up. You see, Jesus has taken the entirety of the power of the heavens and his earth. There's nowhere else to go. He's the our take on of our faith he is the power of God. He's everything. He has sat down in the right. He is the very power of God going forward Amen. in the church. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. There are many people perishing in this world. Don't be fooled. The, the way is narrow that leads to life. There's a, there's a doctrine from the church that's telling us right now that everybody's saying. They're saying that universalism is true, that, that nobody's going to perish. He's not willing, but the cross is foolishness to all of those that perish. And there's many to whom the cross is foolishness. But to us being saved, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power to us being saved. So tonight I'm going to talk about salvation, the joy of salvation, but understand salvation is the process. What Pastor talked about this morning, where we don't say one prayer and call it good. It's not the gospel. The gospel is this processing of being saved. And, and the, the longer we serve the Lord, the more he processes the whole time. We're being continually saved. But if the cross should ever become foolish, even to the one who once professed faith, they will be perished. Cross alone. Man, it's the power of God. It's not foolishness. And finally, Luke chapter 15, verse 7. And you will stay in Luke 15 most of the rest of the service. Luke 15. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight, God, that we can come, that we can come freely in this country and worship you and hear your word. And tonight, God, you have moved by your spirit as we have lifted up your name and praise and we have worshiped in our giving, God. And I know you've received that from the saints tonight. I ask you, Lord, now that the speaking of your word, that the, the reading of your word and the preaching, that you would go forth, God, that you would speak to the hearts that are here tonight. Help me, God, to deliver what you have put into my heart. Help me deliver it in a way, God, that causes the body to be encouraged in you and to see a thing, to see the joy of salvation in their life, in their family's lives, and always in you. I pray this for the Amen. Amen. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. It's that same word for author and finisher. It's that same amazing description of the origin and the sustaining of our salvation. It's all in Christ. There's salvation in no other name. There was no other way to be saved. There was no other religion outside of Christ that can save you or save your children or save your children's children. He is the captain of salvation the origin and the sustainer of it. God began to speak to me, and really I should phrase it this way, I began to listen a little closer. You ever been sleepwalking? In your faith? He's saying everything's right. I mean, I mean, I know I'm serving the Lord. And I'm going in the direction, and I'm studying, and I'm praying, and, I, and I'm feeling the presence of God. And it's not that I haven't tried to serve the Lord, but I was sleepwalking in some areas, some places. One of them was in the joy of salvation. I began to look at my family just as a as a worldly man and have joy in my children and my wife for very physical, worldly things. Very proud of my girls for their job they're doing. Very proud of them for their schooling and, and their grades. And I'm proud of their, their being nice to people. And I'm proud of them doing good things and driving well and I'm proud of my wife for keeping the house so clean and good and putting up with me. Because she's a lot more than that. But there's all these things that I wanted to enjoy with them. I, I want to enjoy vacations and I want to enjoy sports and I want to enjoy this relationship with them on a very physical level. And I'm not telling you that's wrong. I'm not saying we don't find joy in our family in the day to day. But I left my joy. You see, I had found my joy in my family just in the day. The Lord began to reveal my heart that my family, their salvation of them comes before everything else. 
as a priest in my home, as a as one who should lead my home. My prayer daily for my children should be that they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in full revelation, that they walk in salvation, they walk in the strength and the power of the Lord, and, and I have left that to God. I haven't been putting that as my forefront. I wasn't seeking God. And in the youth group, I had to apologize to some of the young people. That's how they right? No, Lord, change something. See, I'm doing the best I can to keep the enemy out. I'm doing what I can to, to keep things out, but, but was I leading them in? You see, Adam in the garden, he, he, he wasn't really guarding it too well. He, he wasn't keeping the serpent out. The serpent got in. So I thought, why well, I gotta keep the serpent out, but if there's a tree of life that we should be eating from. So there's two trees in that garden, and, and, and if I'm guarding the one, but I'm not putting forth the other, I'd still struggle. And so even if I was trying to do right in one area, I leave off the other. You see where you can come up short. So God began to show me this and he said, look, the cross of Christ is a landmark. In our nation, we have the Statue of Liberty. It's a huge landmark. Did anybody ever take to it? We flew over it. I got to just briefly kind of see the direction it was in. We couldn't go see it, but but it sits out there in the ocean, and they said when it was put up in the 18, late 1800s, and when immigrants would come in, they would see that set, and they'd come to New York to, in order to, to file as immigrants and try to become citizens. They had to come to New York, and they would see the Statue of Liberty. They said they would have this beacon of hope. They would get this great hope that they arrived. They saw the liberty, and they had come thousands of miles from Europe. They had left families and homes and stuff and materials they had left. Everything they knew for this chance at life in America. And the cross is that for the Christian. It's the great landmark of the kingdom of God. And every Christian must come to it. Every single person who finds Jesus must come to the cross with everything they are. And they've got to bring it all. And they got to leave it all there. And the whole new life, it's like a foreigner. And you, you come in and you say, God, I want to be a part of this kingdom. So to do it, I have to give up the old life, the old thinking, the old way. I, I'm, not, I'm no longer a European. I'm not a German. I'm not an Italian. That's my heritage in my physical life. That's my blood life. But I'm not German and Italian. I'm American. And a Christian, I come to him and I, I'm no longer what I used to be. My identity is Christ. And that point of the cross, it's the landmark. It's that monument for the Christian, and it's also planted. And it, it, it's a beacon of hope that life is planted on the hill called Alpha. It stands as a testimony. It's, it's planted up and it oversees the, the Jewish faith where it came to its final conclusion. It is finished, the Lord said. He, he brought it forth through Judaism and, and to the Romans and to the Greeks and to all the known world. That cross stood. It stood on that hill and, and it told everybody, this is now the way. This is the truth. This is the life. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he stamped it. He marked it. He planted the flag at Golgotha. And then he sealed it with his own life. And he dropped it out every bit that he had. So the Lord, when he came to the cross, he left nothing behind. He left nothing. He gave it all. He gave everything he was, everything he had. He, he bled every drop of blood. And so he didn't do anything that he's not expecting of you. He did all. He brought all 
And so now he says to us, you too, likewise, likewise, you repent, you come to the cross, and, and you bring everything you are, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, nothing less works. It can't, because this is the monument. This is the landmark. This is the entrance. This is how we come in. Sojourners in this life, we have to find Christ. Now, it's the people in Holy Life. Romans 1.16. Why am I ashamed of the gospel of Christ? For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But what am I doing in my home? Acting ashamed. See, if I can't talk about it, if I can't live it out, if I can't bring every part of me to my children, I can't, if I have to sit them down at the kitchen table and say, look, I experienced some things in the Lord. There are some landmarks in my past and places that I had to come through. I had to give to Christ. And, and this is what God did in me. And this is who I am because of Jesus. And you need him. You need the Lord. For some reason, that was just something I didn't need right now. I was content. Watching a movie night. We're going to all game night. We're just keeping some bad things out. But I'm telling you this not to scold anyone here. I don't know how you raise all your families. I'm telling you that the cross of Christ stands as the power of salvation in the morning. And I, as a priest in my home, as a man in my home, and my wife as a mother in my home, we must bring our children to the cross. Because you're going to get woke up one day. Sleep like apples. They're going to be challenged to whether or not their children have faith in the Lord. They're going to look in the mirror and they're going to say, Did I do good? Did I do good? Well, I'm not going to answer that no at all. I'm just not going to answer that no. So we can have such confidence and hope in the cross. It still stands today. It is the monument. It is the landmark. It still stands. You have to reckon with it. When we preach Christ and it crucified, the heart has to hear. It either rejects it or accepts it. There's no middle ground. It is rejecting or accepting. And the power of, of the cross of Christ stands today. It stands at present. For, forever, it has been for 2,000 years. It's been our calendar. It's 300. It's been... The A.D. and the B.C. before Christ and after death. Hopefully now the liberals want to change that. But this has been a foundational pivot point for history. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is still the beginning of salvation. The great marker for the start of all things. Jesus is in the business of saving. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy of salvation. It's what he does. The Lord wants to save. He wants to work with us in this area. We can't save anybody. I can't do it, but he can. But can I speak his word? Can I encourage my home? Can I help provide the gospel? Can I speak it? Can I live it? Can I show my children the love of God in Christ? Yes, I can. And in that, God speaks. In that, God will speak. And he saves. I Save them. You can't save them. Pastor cannot save anybody. He cannot reach down to the human heart and cause repentance and save any one soul here. 
But I'll tell you what he did. In my life, he spoke into my life. He encouraged my life. Pastor Rodney encouraged and spoke the truth of the gospel and then lived the gospel. And something told me I'm going to come I heard. I saw it. I love that. And as I began to pray, God began to reach into my heart, into my life. And God began to say, okay, I'm going to wash you. I'm going to cleanse you. I have a whole new life if you choose it. But it's a powerful work of the Lord. We're instructed by Paul to give the reason for the hope that's in us. I gave the hope that was in me to my family, but I didn't give the reason for the hope that was in me. I gave the hope to the youth, but did I always give the reason for the hope? I'm just going to tell you truthfully, yeah, I, do we do everything we can right? Yes, we do. God takes you from glory to glory. From revelation to revelation, God hit me with different reasons. Different reasons. It's not enough to give the whole world. Jesus is the hope. He's the hope. Why? Kids want to know why. Your wife wants to know why. Your family wants to know why is this important? Why does this matter? You tell me I need him. I want to know why. Different reasons for that hope. So in Luke chapter 15. The Lord is going to tell three parables to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's going to tell three. At the very beginning of chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, he's going to receive sinners, tax collectors and sinners. He receives them and he eats with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes begin to complain. And they say, This man eats with sinners and tax collectors. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees are the lawyers, and, and they follow the written law and the oral law. They're very religious. They're very ordered in their laws. But did you know the Lord loves them? I mean, we talk back about the Pharisees and the scribes. Some of them got saved on Pentecost. The Lord loves them. They are, they're, they're following the law. A lot of them, they tapped on so many rules and regulations, and, and they added to them to the laws, and they did a lot of wrong. The Lord loves them. He's going to give them parables to save them, too. And so it's amazing, though, their heart. You see, in the beginning of chapter 14, the Lord ate with the Pharisees, the ruler of the Pharisees. He ate dinner with them on Saturday. You were to go back a chapter. You'll find that he ate with them. They brought in a lame man, a man who was ill, on the Sabbath, to test him, see if he would heal himself. And he did. And that was against their oral law. He broke a tradition and a law that they just made up. And then he's going to teach him. He gives some parables and teachings. And then halfway through chapter 14, he has the multitude start to follow him. And he's teaching hard. He is teaching hard. He's teaching, if you don't hate father and mother more than me, if you don't hate son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Count the cost. Count the cost before you follow me. Don't go to war without knowing the cost, who the enemy is. It's foolishness. And then, Begin to 15, the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners draw near to him to hear him. They endured a hard teaching. They endured some really sound doctrine. And the sinners come to hear the Lord. And he receives them. Now here's what the Jews hate. Here's what they did not hate. This word to receive is personal. 
It's not just he met with them. He received them like family. Oh, man, God is so good. The Lord, he doesn't mess around. It's this word. It's, he's receiving them in like they're family relatives. And they're part of his life now. And then eating with them confirms that. He's going to break bread with sinners and tax collectors. And this confirms that they are equal in this way, that, that he loves them. They're part of him. Man, aren't you glad that's how the Lord saved you? I'm really glad the Lord doesn't leave me outside that somehow I'm a second class citizen or I'm, I'm something less when He brings me in. But you know, the Lord saves, the Lord He cleanses, the Lord He washes clean. He told Peter, Do not call unclean what I have made clean. But this thing you did. He doesn't just talk to sinners, He's not just out preaching to them now, He's receiving them. He loves the Pharisees and he loves the scribes, and he's going to give them this opportunity. Parable one is about the shepherd. Now, if you study a little bit with the Jews, we think the shepherd's job is a very glamorous position of the Christian church, right? I mean, the great shepherd is the Lord. The Lord's a great shepherd, that's going to be an anointing job. But David's a shepherd, man, man of God. Jews didn't view the shepherds as much. Shepherds were much. In fact, if you remember when Samuel went to anoint David, he goes and he gets all the brothers together, and, and Jesse, the father, brings all the sons out, and he, and he, and he can't find the king, the future king. He's like, is this all of a sudden you have? Oh, there's the youngest he's going to He just, he's not. He's a shepherd. The shepherd's not a super respected position at this time. It's not, well, it's a stepping stone. King David's amazing as he was king, not because he was a shepherd. Good father. Angels come and, and they announce the Lord's arrival. They celebrate glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, and they're doing it in the fields of the shepherds. Something about shepherding that the Lord loves. The Jews don't receive it so well, so he's going to tell this first parable, and it's a little funny. Let's take a shepherd, for instance. He's got a hundred sheep, one goes astray. He's going to leave the 99. He's going to look for that sheep. And when he finds it, when he finds it, he's going to pick it up, carry it on his shoulders, and return it back to the 99. And we get to verse 7, and oh, the Lord says this Heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. Great joy over the sinner who repents. It's, it's greater than the 99. Who we could probably interject, think they need no repentance. There's so much symbolism in this. If you go back to the beginning in that 15, verse 1 and 2, the lost sheep is the one that is now drawing near to hear the Lord. You see, God doesn't go against your will and pull you into the kingdom. But when you draw close to him and you call out to him, he is going to save. Because he's looking. He's seeking. Jesus said the Father seeks those who worship in God. Spirit and in truth. Not perfect life and no mistake. Not one who's ever sinned, but those that are worshiping in spirit and truth. He's looking. He's seeking. He is seeking those who are lost. And if we call out to him, he will answer. If we call out, he's looking. He's seeking. He's trying to find. And so the ones that drop close, the ones that say, I want to hear him. Whether you are a tax collector, the worst of the worst, a 
traitor to the Jewish faith. Tax collectors had given up literally their love for Judaism in order to serve Rome and extort the people of money. Thieves, liars, traitors, even a tax collector who says, I want to draw near. Oh, I hear him. God receives. And the sinner, it's the detestable ones. It's every kind of filth and sin you can think of. It's all included in this word. And if those are drawing near, saying, I want to hear you, God. Speak to my life, Lord. I want to hear. I want to be saved. And he's looking. And he doesn't leave you lost. He picks that one up. That one he picks up, puts on his shoulders, and carries them where? To the highway. He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. I'm trying to save and bring them into my kingdom, of which you should be part of. Where do I bring them to? Well, to the body of Christ. Where do I take them to? But to the church. That's what kills them when people say they're not the church. It hurts when I hear people say, I don't need the body of Christ. I, I can live this thing on my own. I don't need church. But yet the Lord, he is building his church. He is actively saving. And saving to where? To the body of Christ. Building his church and, and bringing them to it. And he tells the scribes and the Pharisees, you should have been one of the nine times celebrating when I brought that one lost. Rejoicing as heaven rejoices. And then now I bring them to there was a great commission. We talked about it. And it's not go and save the lost, it's go and make what? Make disciples. Oh, we preach the lost. Oh, we preach it. We preach the lost. We preach salvation messages. We do. We are out. We are what we always preach, right? Not that we preach the lost, we preach the dying. But I can't save them. When he tells you to make disciples, yeah, we gotta do that. I don't want to be one of the ninety-nine, right? But it's received those that come in. But first, what am I doing in my home? Am I ready in my house for the sheep by David? And am I the one that's bringing them in? Am I, am I bringing them in to the Lord? Am I ready for discipleship in my home? Am I showing them the life of Christ, living the life of Christ, mistakes and all? As fathers and mothers, we are perfect. We have to do that. We have to do that. The Lord loves to save. He loves to save lost. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All sin and fallen short. God chooses the foolishness of preaching to reveal that to us. And some of us have stopped preaching at home. I don't know why I do. Want to make that focus? I, I, maybe I thought they heard enough. Thought they got so much word at church. I, I don't know why. God showed me. They listened to you more than anybody else in their life. They listened to their mom more than anybody else in their life. So they see, so they know you love them. They, as parents, your kids know that you love them. You did it before. Give them the word of God. Let them hear it. Let them hear it. Pray for them. Pray for the lost. The second, uh, the second parable is worse than the first if you're a Jew. About a woman. All oh, you women are bad now. He's going to tell them now, picture this. It's like a woman. Now, in Judaism, I love the fact that it's always raised up when really. I mean, if you look at 
and the Jewish history, there's been some great women of faith. Yeah. You don't find that in a lot of other religions. I mean, God created the male and female. He created them. There was some great women of faith, but the Jews, they don't like thinking like a woman. And all our men today need to stop thinking so much like women. But in this case, the Lord's going to bring some humility. All right, let's look at this woman. The woman, she's got ten silver coins, and, and she's going to lose one of them. And, and don't you think she would sweep every corner of the house and, and turn on every light and look for everything where she could to find that lost woman? And then when she's found it, should have called her neighbors and her friends, and they're going to get together, and they're going to rejoice because she's found the lost one. And they have to agree. Now, when I first read this parable, I thought, ten silver coins you missed one, is that really that big of a deal? Do you really call all your friends and neighbors to celebrate a coin? Because see, in that day, they didn't use money as much as we do. We, they had a barter system. They used to trade labor, and they trade items they made. Money was a special for special causes. Most likely for this woman, I was reading what the scholars said, what the commentator said, I, I couldn't figure it out. They said, well, most agree this was her dowry. Most likely she was either unmarried, and this was a typical size of a dowry. And her father has probably passed away, and this is what they would have understood. They would have understood that she's carried this amount of money for a reason. These ten silver coins represent possibly her future, her dowry, and sentimental again. If she was married, what was typical on that day was a husband would give his wife an inheritance. Many times if a husband died and you had a widow, you'd be all the time. They weren't provided for unless they had sons. Very hard for a, a woman to provide for herself. In fact, the church is going to be instructed to provide for who? Widows and orphans, because they can't provide for themselves. So a lot of husbands would, would create an inheritance, and, and that inheritance would be about this amount of money. And if he died, this would allow his wife a way to, to, to get her things and move somewhere, or, or at least have enough provision until she found another husband. I know it sounds weird, but that's kind of the provision that a good husband would get. It had sentimental value, and it had real world value. To lose a tenth of that would have broken her heart. It would have broken her, it would have crushed her. She would have done all she could to find that. It meant so much more than a little bit of money. And the Jews knew this, and he used this as another example. He said, you know, you understand now the thought of a woman in this condition and what she would need. This is how I see sinners. Man, I value them. They're my inheritance. I went to the cross to pay for the loss. I will die for the loss. I will bleed every bit of my blood to seek and save the lost. That's how valuable these are to me. That's why I receive those that are hearing me, those that are coming to me, any of those who want to repent and change. I want to see because they're this This word repent is metanoia. It's you know change your life, change your purpose. But I read this uh, definition by a Greek scholar. He said, it's a change of purpose after being dead. I thought, man, when I met Jesus, when I got with Jesus, I want to change everything. The first time I met the Lord, and I heard in, in, in the preaching of the gospel, and I 
I began to think about it, and I was like, Lord, I, I don't know everything about you. I'm 16 and a half. I don't know all the ins and outs, but, but I'm hearing this word, and I know that you died for me. I know that you're calling for me. I know, God, you, you want to save me. I, I don't understand all of it. But I began to worship him. I was praising him, and I, I began to be with him, and I began to understand he was with me. Something changed. I, I told myself, I want the life of God. I began to speak to my inner man. I began to change my purpose after I became. I, I love that definition. This is when heaven joins us. Not when a group of people say a prayer. And I'm not trying to mock great big evangelistic events, but that's that's not rejoicing in heaven because some people said a prayer, but the repentance, that is where joy comes. This is where the Lord receives them and, and his joy is for us. Why he endured the cross? For this joy. And he wants you and I to partake of this joy. Don't short yourself out of the joy of God. And I feel like I shorted myself out of the understanding of these realities. Because when we talk about salvation, oftentimes it's with negatives. We're dealing with sin. We're dealing with corruption. We're dealing with darkness. We're speaking light and dark. But, but it's because of the joy set before the Lord that he endured. It's why he despised the shame. But he saw the joy to come. And I think that's the heart that God wants to have in me is to see the joy coming. To understand that if I stay faithful to him, if I Preach his word, he's going to do a work. If he can move and he can call and he can speak, our young people are going to hear him. How many of them are going to come to him? How many of them are going to say, I want to repent? I believe many will come if we are willing to spread this joy, this gospel. Those in our world can hear it and have opportunity to come. So finally, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here like the other side. I don't have to go over the whole story of the prodigal son. It's been talked over and over. If you've just been in the world and watched movies, you've seen a version of the prodigal son. But we do remember there's an older brother and a younger brother, and I do believe that the scribes and the Pharisees are going to be a type of the older brother in this story. The Lord's going three straight parables. And he's including them in the story by his third day. And the other brother in the house is going to get his inheritance and leave and squander. No squander at all. Harlots and alcohol and whatever else. What I love that happens here is now the Lord will give us a clear picture of repentance. This is as clear as it gets. This is it. If you want to know what repentance looks like, you're saying, I don't know how to repent. You can reread the story tonight when you go. It's clear. I'm going to read it to you in just a few verses, 17 through 19. When he came to himself, the other brother, he had come to himself. It's almost impossible for the drug addict and the drunk to make true repentance. We preach the gospel here, and God knows us. And there have been miracles, you see. Something's got to change through all that thinking and all that mess. And the enemy knows that if he can get you without the silver mind, he can keep you warm. That's why we hate alcohol in our house. 
Why we hate those? Because you can't make a clear decision. This young man had squandered everything, so finally he couldn't afford any more alcohol, most likely. And he's drying out the paper. He's drying out. He comes to himself. He comes to himself and says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? My physical body is done. Ravaged by sin, he recognizes I am done. I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be your called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then he arose. He came to his father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. Repentance is going to start with humility. You cannot come in with pride. You cannot. If your children have pride, if your someone you're praying for has pride, pray against that. The step one is humility. Start praying God break their pride. Don't pray they get all these things in this life. Don't pray God bless them with money, bless them with power. Don't pray they get blessed with everything. Pray that God break their pride because they're not coming in. But they can help they need to. And step one of repentance is a humble heart. Uh, he comes to himself and and man, if I could just be a slave, a, a hired worker in my father's house, I wouldn't starve. I'll come back and take the worst job. I'll come back and I'll mop the stalls. I'll, I'll sweep up the manure. I'll do any job in the house. Just let me come back home. And he says, I'm going to confess my sin. I, I'm humble, and, and now there's an action. I've got to get up. I, I'm humble, and now i got to get up, and i got to go. And i got to come here. And the tax collectors and the sinners, they, they wanted to hear the word of the Lord, and so they draw near, and they come, and they step forward. And this young man has to get up. He's got to come. He's got to come to hear, but he's got to go to the Father. He's got to apologize. He's got to confess his sin. He's got to come forward and say, Father, I sinned not just against you, but against God. It's not enough for our kids to say sorry when they do something wrong. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. That's not it. We gotta bring them to repentance of the Lord. And I'm not saying we beat it into them, I'm not saying that we put it down, but we have to understand the concept of repentance is understanding that I sinned against me, I sinned against my brothers, my sisters, my mom, my dad, and God. I sinned against my Lord, against my Savior. That was my sin that put him on that cross. That was me. That, that was my sin. He pled for my sin. We're not humble, we won't get. And then we gotta have action. Repentance requires a change of mind, a change of direction, get out of the big pen and go. We know that. And he gets up and he goes, and then the father does something. He's seeking this. The Lord was looking for the lost sheep and, and looking for the clone. And, and now looking for the son. And when the son drew near, he got down that road. That's when the Lord runs out to meet you. And that's when the Lord comes and picks you up and puts you on his shoulders. And that's when the Lord puts the robe around you. And that's when the Lord puts the ring on your hand and says, You're received into the family. You're brought into the family of God. You are not just forgiven. You're washed clean and you are restored into the family of God. And so the Lord 
Jerusalem showed this to scribes and the Pharisees, saying, this is the heart of repentance and what I'm here to do. And then the older brother, he comes home and he hears the celebrating and, and the feasting, and he gets angry. And he is justified to do that. He's not wrong. This brother squandered his father's inheritance, went out and sinned and did wrong and, and spoiled the family name and, and dishonored the family and did everything he could against his father. Dad, why are you doing this? You never slayed a cow for me. And you're, you're having a celebration for this one that's become home. The father says in verse 31 and 32, son, you are always in All that I have is yours. It's right and good to rejoice. But your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And the Lord stops the story right there. We don't see what the older brother does. I believe he spoke to the Pharisees and the scribes. What are you going to do with them? They're near him, they're near him. And some of them are here. The Lord gave the Jews all the prophecy, the lineage, everything God gives was brought through the Jewish people. They had access to all the Father had. had all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the law. They had everything. They, they had the miracles of the past. They, they had purity in the past. They even had God corrected at times and then blessed them. And, and they had everything. They had the timing of when the Lord would be born. They knew they, who he was going to be. They should have all been able to identify him. And then he comes to them. He is speaking in their areas. He is preaching to the Jew first. The gospel comes to the Jew and then to the Greek. And so they have everything. No one says, what are you going to do? Because in a few short, a little short time, this is about to change. This gospel is going to go down. It's going to open up and no longer will it be just to be. No longer will the blessings of the Father's house be contained for one group of people, but, but this is going to change. Will you bring them in? Will you be the ones that, that bring the gospel to them? Will you receive sinners in my name? Will, when I save them, will you be a place I can put them? And I'm not even going to Jesus wants to receive us. And as a church, I'm about to receive sinners. Sinners who repent, sinners who change. And as a father, in my heart, I want to provide a way for my children to know Jesus Christ. I want to provide a way for them to come to Him, for them to know He's their Savior. And then I, I've got to be like the 99 sheep ready to receive. I've got to be like the other nine coins. I'm, I'm ready to be whole in the Lord. I've got to receive my kids. And then, like a brother, I'm going to rejoice when they serve the Lord. I want to rejoice when they repent. I want to rejoice when they find Christ. Because the joy of salvation of the Lord is all about. So finally, Luke 11, 9 and 10, we're almost done. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Not, it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. 
God does not reject a contrite spirit, broken heart. He does not reject anyone who calls out because he's seeking to save Yahshua, the God who saves. It is what he does. It's why he endured the cross. The lamb was slain at the foundation, before the foundation of the world, the origin of joy is salvation. The originator and sustainer of real joy is salvation. I believe by missionaries who go through hard times, I believe people in prisons, people with cancers and sicknesses, what gives them joy? We always think that's just so hard, and it is. But salvation is the origin of joy. Yeah. And I think the same in any place in this world when you walk into the life, any depth of despair and problem I may have in this physical life, I can still have this joy. Because the origin is from the Lord. Jesus wants to receive us into his the family of God. Restore us and save us to himself. Amen. God bless you, Pastor.